Good night, Harlem. We are your host. I am Law, and I'm with Avia. And this is uh, a, a little bit of a somber show, but I think both of us wanted to like immediately come to the mic and talk about uh, what's transpired over the past few days in relation to Brianna Taylor. Um, Avia, I want to open this up by just saying what I want to do with this is just distill and dismiss any misinformation that's out there and just have a real conversation. I've done so much research on this and I'm just kind of sick and tired of hearing certain talking points and narratives that have been built and just talk about the entire story. I want you to be able to ask questions. I want to understand how you feel right now and vice versa. And just have this be kind of an open forum for both of us just to discuss this whole thing. I'll start with me on this in terms of how I'm feeling. Um, I am not shocked in the least at what decision came down based on all the information that I had known coming out of this. Um, What I am more so uh, shocked about is actually what's happening on the ground in Louisville right now. Like, I'm more shocked about that than I am the decision that was made based on how laws are set up. Um, And what I mean by that is the counter protesters to the Brianna protesters uh, and the videos that I'm seeing of cops telling counter protesters that have full AR-15s loaded weapons because it's a, you know, open carry state. They're telling them where not to go. Um, we don't want to have to have anything in sight while you're around. And then these people on the other hand with these AR-15s telling them, well, we're here for your protection. We're trying to protect you guys as the police. And I'm like, wow, that is more shocking to me than anything else in the moment. But what I don't want to do is de-emphasize or in any way slight Brianna Taylor's death. A life is lost. And to me, that is where the conversation begins and ends. And the way that we as a public and a society handle that thereafter is another conversation. But how are you feeling? Uh, Well, to be honest with you, I did not say this before the podcast. I really didn't want to do this show, honestly. Um, As a black woman... Uh, you know, I feel like this really hits very close to home. And that's not to say that I am shocked by what has transpired. I think that the fact that they put barricades up uh, 
days before the announcement pretty much told us that it wasn't going to be something that we wanted to hear anyway. Right. But I'm just I'm just tired of I'm tired of having to to talk about these things. I I'm just tired. And I mean, I'm here to talk about it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. And I feel like, you know, that's something that we at least owe our, our listeners who have an interest in this, but like I said in a couple episodes ago, I literally had a nightmare about the same thing happening to me. So it's hard for me to discuss an unfortunate situation where someone like me died from this and to break this down and and actually talking about it makes me even more angry. Um, As far as, you know, how I've been coping with everything it's just, it's like business as usual, you know? It's like, I feel like this past summer, we've gone through a wave of just levels of handling racism, you know? Like, I feel like in the beginning of the summer or, or you know, the weekend that George Floyd died, it was like this big rush of, oh my gosh, we need to do right by black people. And, you know, companies jumped on board and it was just whole big wave of um, awareness. And then once there was headway in George Floyd's case, then it came back to Breonna Taylor's case. And then all summer, that was the theme of when it came to anything that dealt with black injustice, it was say her name. Um, and then in between that, there's sprinklings of other black deaths and black injuries by the hands of cops that we've had to say their names as well. So, like I said, I'm here, but I'm not kind of here. Um, I do want us to dispel the, the myths about this because I've heard a lot of different things as well. But I also want to acknowledge that a lot of the unfactual things that I've read are from people who wouldn't believe the facts if they hit them in the face. Ooh. Wait, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you, are you saying that there's just a lot of misinformed people in general that don't want the right information? Is oh, that- of course. I think if any, in any situation, you're going to find people where they have a certain mindset towards a situation and that's what they're going to believe no matter what you show or tell them. You know, and, you know, I've seen some YouTube videos and I've read the commentary under them. And it's like those same people who will try to find a flaw in the person who got killed as if it was justification for why they are no longer living. And those are the types of people where I'm like, look, that's a lost cause. We're we're not going to be here to sway any of their opinions because they've already made their minds up facts you know so i mean it gets i think it just gets exhausting and i think that you know this type of topic can be an exhausting one so that's that's where i'm coming from and how i feel right now all right i want to dig into the details i want to talk about what really transpired in this and, 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 and I want to just try to cover as many angles as I possibly can yeah. from uh, as much information as I have. I think the first part of this is just to understand, and I'm not, 
again, not downplaying Brianna, not at all in any way, shape, or form. So I want to focus on her more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be more about her than it is about the other characters, period. Mm -hmm. Um, She, Brianna, um, and I got to stop. Every time I try to talk about her, I talk about her as if it's in the present tense. I know. Which is a... Yeah. It's a weird thing that that. I'm doing and doing that. So I I want to... it's because you see her face so often. It's almost like she she didn't die. Like... Right. The memory is more alive than her actual life is. So, okay. let Let me do this. All of us have a friend that we grew up with in whatever inner city neighborhood we grew up in where that friend is the person who everybody expects to do better. And that friend could be the solid one, the one that keeps everybody kind of afloat, the one that is the inspiration for others. She was that to her crew. And I think that's important. I think when you're that person to so many people and you lift other people's spirits up and that's how you're remembered amongst your peers, that's a big deal. And I can't fake or act like that's not a big component of her story. Now, one thing that has to be said and that is crucial about all of this is love is something you cannot, you, you, everybody's different when it comes to love. Everybody's different when it comes to relationships and you can't tell yourself who you fall for. You can't, nobody can be like, I'm not gonna, I'm 100% not gonna date this kind of person. And she's no different. She dated two different people. One person she dated, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do this in a way that I'm uncomfortable saying it. One person she dated uh, was just frankly a drug dealer. He trapped a lot. Jamarcus Glover. Mm-hmm. And the other person she dated wasn't about that life. It was the opposite. Opposite. Right. And so it's called leveling up, everyone. <laughs> no, really, it is. <laughs> it, I'm not even putting it about leveling up as much as I am about the importance of her in her own life going, okay, this is what I need in this moment. This might be what I need in another moment. She knew what she needed when she wanted it. And people are faulting her for that. Sometimes you do date a hood person. And by hood person, I literally mean somebody who's trapped. I don't mean they just grew up in the hood. Sometimes people do that, and that happens. She's being faulted and judged based on her dating or falling for somebody who trapped. Based off of the actions of a completely different person. That's not her. And I think that bothers me. All right. So let me let me let me do this conversation the right way. With all that out to play, her ex gets put in jail, and her ex is the trap guy. And when he gets put in jail, she still is calling him. There are several tapes. There's all these things where you can go back to hear their conversations. So it's not like she just goes cold turkey after he goes away. But before he ever goes to jail, she kind of knew he was not in the right. Like as in his level of trap and things that he's involved with can get her put her in a bad spot. And here's what I mean by that. I believe the year was 2016 or 2017. And she rented a car, allowed him to take the keys to the car. 
and he gave those keys to another person. And in doing so, that other person that had those keys ended up dead. And this was part of the commentary that I saw on YouTube where they were saying, oh, everyone's painting her out to be such a great pick, uh, person, but how? what about that person they found dead in, in, in the car under her name? Like, like commentary like that. Now, here's the other part that you have to talk about when you talk about that. You have to bring in the fact that there is also audio of her talking about that instance. She didn't know what the hell was going on. Her ex also corroborated the same thing. He didn't know what that... He didn't... He's saying she wasn't involved with anything. Now, he could just be saying that as a trap man. You know. But I don't even think that's the case. What I genuinely believe is she wasn't involved with any of that. I genuinely believe that. Now, okay. At the point that that took place, you still love that person. And you don't move away from them. She's being judged based on that. All right? Fast forward to when he goes to get put in jail. He's dealing with another person. He's even telling the other person he's dealing with, and by he, I mean the guy that's in jail, the, the boyfriend, that, the ex-boyfriend that's in jail. He's telling the other person over the phone, hey, yeah, 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 you know, I, you know, I got some money stashed away at her crib, you know, like 8000 another 6000 Basically saying that he has $14,000 laid up in her place. Like he's using her place as a, as a part of his overall trap syndicate. Okay. Now, <laughs> this is where the story gets even more wild. A part of the reason why they're even scoping her out and at her place, there was a law installed where they wanted to micro-target. And they did micro-target. And by micro-target, I mean they went down to the sliver of a zip code to find the area where the most crime was happening in their city so that they in their mind could stop the crime which isn't going to necessarily completely stop crime but it's supposed to reduce it by almost 40 percent i said all that to say they are putting cameras up all over her street so they and by they i mean the police they've been scouring and basically for a full few months following every action that's taking place on that street there is three to four trap houses on that street. Her ex has three to four trap houses on that street. Her ex also, two, three months prior to her death, had showed up at her front door with her current boyfriend there, unannounced, and was basically like, I do what I want. He's that dude. So when he gets put away, it changes a lot. It changes a lot in her life. But the cops, for whatever reason, don't do their due diligence and don't understand that those two have completely severed ties. They don't, they don't know that. They don't know. But what they do know is they have him on tape talking to another woman saying that, yeah, 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 there's some money over there. Huh, they can say anything. They say anything. Do you hear me? The cops believe that she is a part of the syndicate based on a part of that conversation and other conversations that they had. As well as the fact that they 
viewed him leaving her apartment with a box in his hand. And so they thought that he was taking something back to his trap house because that's the next place he visited after he left her house. Mm -hmm. And so they assumed that she was stashing the rest of the goods. Mm -hmm. And this is where that, this all gets so super dice. Like the, (laughs) the FBI versus what their local police come back with is two different things on two crucial points. It's sad to, to be frank, it's sad. On one end, the FBI comes back and says, there's not enough evidence to corroborate the fact that you would have had enough evidence to get a warrant to do anything to her. That's crazy. They're like, there is no true connection. There is no, you don't have enough evidence to say that there was a one-to-one connection between mm. them anymore in that capacity. I didn't know that. That's insane. But you guys took it upon yourself to say, we're going to reduce this crime. So this is where the lies and, and, and my point, the narratives get built up in the story and it bothers me. The idea that one, she's killed while she's sleeping. No, she's not sleeping. She was awake. Killed. So I hate, I literally hate, whenever I see that, I go, okay, you don't, you, you literally don't know this story. I think you know what, what happens though, especially with the story like this, mm-hmm. there are so many things that change as far as information wise. If you don't pay attention, then you're going to be left with the last thing that you heard, right? Yeah. But people are being hung up on the last thing they heard from six months ago. That's because that's actually what's not, bothering. That's because they have not paid attention to the new information that's come out. So if you're paying attention to what you no, and this that's is what I'm silly. saying though. This is what I'm saying though. There's so much misinformation that in order for you to know the real information, it would take someone like yourself or someone like myself who has done a certain amount of due diligence to actually look into the things that have actually transpired from multiple sources. Right. But if you have, we have a society where it's very, it's very quick. Information's really quick. People read headlines. People look at tweets, quick tweets without reading all the thread, you know? So it's like, if you're seeing a whole bunch of people say, I can't believe they killed this black woman in her sleep and you don't do anything to look into that, you're going to run with that narrative. I agree with you on that, but... We we are in the information age, so then if you're just gonna play dumb, that I don't know if people are I don't think that people know that they're playing dumb though. I think they truly think the narrative that they believe is what actually happened. But you're actively playing dumb when there's more information always being given out. You're right. at, you're if basically you're, like if you're it. unaware that there's information that that um that goes against what the the, the, the thing that you learned, then you're just unaware. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, we had to do due diligence to find out the real information. It didn't just pop up in our faces. Okay. And even if something else pops up in your feed or whatever, you still have to take an action to see what is real. You know what I'm saying? Fair. Okay, here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. Hear me out. There is the misinformation about her being asleep. When all this takes place. Right. There's the misinformation of them being at the wrong person's house. 
Like legit, people are like, they went to the wrong house. And no, they went to the exact house they wanted to go to and knew they wanted to go to. Like that was not a mistake. Mm-hmm. None of that's a mistake. I'm still seeing those narratives now. We're six months removed from that initial blow up. I'm like, guys, you got to do a little bit of work. Just, I'm not saying a lot. I mean a little. A little. Bare minimum. So, okay. Well, let's, clar- let's clarify for anyone who's unaware about the, the sleeping incident. Basically, from what I know, you can correct me, uh-huh. is that her and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, that's his name, right? Um, they were in their bedroom and they were watching a movie and she had fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. He was still awake. Mm-hmm. But when the police started barging in on their door mm-hmm. and knocking it off the hinges... It was so loud that it woke her up. Yes. So at yes. that point, technically, when the police were there, she was awake, but she was not awake the whole time that before they came in and when they announced themselves. So let's make that clear. When they claimed they announced themselves, she was not awake. As soon as they barged the door open, she woke up from the loud sound Facts. of the yes. door being pressed off the hinges. From these cops. So let's make that clear for the for the viewers just in case they didn't know that. Yes. So she woke up directly after that. And I think this is where this whole thing gets challenging. When she does wake up, she goes to the door. That's what I find more entertaining than anything. She actually goes to the door. And this is again... Goes to what door? She goes to the door to see who the hell is at the door. She goes... Oh, I didn't know that part. Again, this is where this story gets really cloudy. Well, that's well, that's not what Kenneth said, though. Yes. She actually got up to, like, find out who's at the door. That's what she did. She doesn't hear anything multiple times over. She's asking who it is. Nobody says anything. They just keep beating. That's not what I heard. I heard audio... So I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I heard an audio from her boyfriend mm-hmm. that said that they 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 were watching a movie. She fell asleep. He was still awake. He heard a pounding on the door, um, and a loud bang, and it sounded like someone was breaking into their house. That's when she woke up, scared to death, because she didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And he was basically telling her, "I think someone's coming in here. We need to like protect ourselves." And that's when he left. And by the time he got out of the room, he saw someone coming through the door, and that's when he shot his one shot. That's what I remember hearing from his audio. So I'm not quite sure about that. I didn't know about the whole, how would she have had time to go to the door? So this is the thing. There's a long hallway from her room to the door. It's a long-ass hallway. And And I think this is what makes this even more interesting to me. Go over, they damn. They go over to the door. Nobody says anything. It's just like, okay, clearly I gotta go because I don't know who this is. Nobody's announcing themselves. And this is where I was saying the story gets convoluted between what the cops are saying happened and what witnesses are saying happened, and even what her boyfriend is saying what happened. So, New York Times did their thing, and of the, I believe the somewhere between ten to twelve witnesses they interviewed, 
Nobody heard the police say anything other than one person. And that person heard it after like the third or fourth knock. Yeah, so it was like it was like 12 people that they interviewed did not hear the police announce themselves. And the 13th person or the one out of the 13 did hear something. And I remember when Daniel Cameron was talking about this whole thing, someone asked him a question and said, if you are going to do, go ahead. You, no, no, go, go ahead. No, 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 no. If you're going to do, no, no, you go first. If the cops are going to do a, an, a, an announce, an announcement before the, before they break in, because that's what their warrant is now telling them to do. Yep. Do you think their announcement even sufficed if only one out of 13 people heard the announcement and not even the two people in the apartment heard the announcement? Come on, man. Like, really? Come on, man. I personally think, and this is not facts, I personally think the one person who heard it got paid. They They needed one person to say, oh, yeah, I heard the, the, the cops announce themselves just so they can seem a little bit justified in what they did. Because it doesn't make sense. If you look at the layout of her apartment building, everything's outside, right? So to walk up to her door, when you're walking up to her door, you're outside. It's not like you're in a building in a hallway where the sound could travel. You are outside, right? And there's apartments on her side, and there are apartments across from her, and there are also apartments above her, up a set of stairs. But the entrance to everyone's apartment is from outside. So one neighbor out of the cluster of neighbors was the only person who heard police announcing themselves. And on one hand, someone can say, "Well, obvious." It was 1240 a.m. Who was really awake? Maybe that one neighbor was was awake. But on the other hand, if the cops know that they are showing up to someone's door at 1240, what are the chances that someone's going to be awake? And at that juncture, how do you announce yourself in a proper way where the person who's not awake can hear you do it? That's just my question. So I'm going to read you the transcript from Kenny Walker. So you don't think I'm like making that up. No, I don't think you're making it up. No, no. I'm, I just, I'm just, I just I'm, heard an audio that he didn't never mention that. So I was just. Confused. So this is, this is Kenny talking. Um, so Kenny says she pops up out of her sleep. Mm-hmm. It scared her to death. First thing she said is, who is it? No response. There was a second knock. Banged on it again. No response. Another knock at the door. She's like, who is it? Loud at the top of her lungs. No response. Manningly says that after the third knock, at that point, we started announcing ourselves. Police, please come over. Come to the door. Police, we have a search warrant. They begin loudly announcing themselves, screaming, police, police. Kenny says... That is oh, Maddie, who is the that. cop. Okay. Kenny says, there's another knock at the door. She's yelling at the top of her lungs, and I am too at this point. Who is it? 
But Kenny says, no response. All they heard was the knocking. They never heard any voices. No answer, no anything. Okay. So at what point does does Brianna go back into the bedroom and, and Kenny has a gun? Oh, they, they stepped away at me. They were like, well, we're not doing this. Because the ex-boyfriend had already, months in advance, been that dude and showed up and being a jerk. Right, because I remember Kenny said something about he was scared that it was the ex coming back. I'm not. And here's the thing. Because he's not about that life the way the ex would, the drug dealer would be, there is something to prove in that. It's like, I'm not going to let anything happen to us. And this is another narrative I'm hearing online. And this is more so from the conservative point of view. Why would you just openly pull out your gun and shoot at somebody who comes through the door? Because they broke in your door. It's called stand your ground. You know that law that you would... Uh, oh, don't give me the, You know, the <laughs> law that all you guys defended George Zimmerman on. Come on now. Don't want to hear it. You got to give me one. <laughs> oh, so George Zimmerman can stand his ground, but, you know, black people protecting themselves. Oh, hell no. Can't do that. So Mattingly is the first officer. Now, this is a piece of news I didn't realize. Mattingly was the only officer who actually made it inside the apartment. The other two never stepped foot in the apartment. So all the shots that they that they popped off were from the outside, which is... That's not true. That's, that's what... That's uh, not true either. Two, so there's two officers that, okay, Let, let's get into the, I'm, I'm, no, I'm skipping a part of the story, but no, I mean, no, go back to this, go back to the part you want to get to. There's just so much, I, I feel like I'm not going to do this due diligence, but no, I want to be do, able to address things. Do the things. due diligence. We got time. It's so, <laughs> no, but <laughs> don't make me laugh. Okay. In terms of, in terms of what their goal was they just viewed this as we're gonna stop whatever it is that she's a part of and they're gonna do whatever they need to do to do so and i don't they're they're trying to do their job i'm not saying right or wrong in that they're just trying to do their job they think they're trying to stop a drug syndicate all right so where this whole thing gets dicey in regards to the drug syndicate part of it is, like I said, they didn't do their due diligence about the fact that she already had cut ties with her ex. And they didn't do the due diligence to understand who was in the place with her in that moment 100%. They just didn't. That's bad. And so, okay, when they end up doing the knocks, they do all that, and then he pulls out, he shoots that one shot. All I keep thinking when he lets that one shot go is, where in his mind is this going to go? He's thinking some people who are not the cops are about to do something devastating to him. And you know what I mean by that? Like, if this is her ex coming for him, he's like, I'm not going to let him take us out. So that one shot that he lets out is a warning shot, in my opinion. Not knowing that that warning shot actually hits a cop. And that cop almost bleeds out. They have to actually pull that cop out because he is hit in a spot 
where blood can come out so quickly that he would die quickly. They all recognize that immediately, and that same cop that gets hit shoots off a couple of rounds. Now, I'm going to be very specific about the number of shots because all of this is important. All He shoots off six shots. All of this is crazy important. It's 22 total, right? That's what they said. 22 total shots from all three. Uh, Matt and Lee, who got shot, uh, fired off six shots. Um, Hankison, the one who, the only person who's getting punished from the situation, fired off what ten? He's fired off ten. And then the rest were from um, Cosgrave. Is that his last name? Miles Cosgrave. Cosgrave. I want to. I really want to get into him. After, <laughs> oh my God, he was on the force for 15 years, including the last three in narcotics. Um, and I think that's a big deal to bring up. So he was the second person inside of Brianna Taylor's apartment. You know, I said there's two officers. He was the second person that went in there after the battering ram situation. Um, okay. When the door is off the hinges... He does, he does the craziest thing ever. And he, to me, it, it's obvious based on the FBI reports and everything else, he, to me, is who does the most damage. When the, the, the officer goes down, he fires 16 rounds. That is what kills her. That's what kills her. Why the fuck did you fire 16 rounds? What did, the, what did you think was happening? Did you think they had like a militia of people that were going to kill you? But here's the thing. Here's where I can't judge. Because if in the heat of the moment, if some one of your friends, for God's sakes, because they're, they're not just your co-workers at that moment. If one of your friends gets shot and you all have guns, you are going to shoot at wherever you can shoot at so that you don't get hit. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But there's a reality check there. His shots is what ends up killing her. And he is a person who is completely off the hook because he's shooting in self-defense of one of his fellow officers. And that's what makes all this complicated. Well, it makes it so complicated because Kenny is shooting in self-defense. And he's shooting in self-defense because you have three cops who have broken his door off the hinges of the apartment where he lives and he did nothing wrong. So at the end of the day, and this is the part that I, I kind of want to get at. You know, we talk about, or they, they've spoken about how uh, prior to those cops even approaching Brianna's apartment, how her boyfriend, Jamarcus Walker, was already in custody, right? Is that what they say? Because the timing of when yep. that happened was a little bit confusing yep. for me. Yep. You have cops that are at a house looking for a person they already have in custody and the person who's who lives in that house is not allowed to actually stand their ground so at the end of the day the, i think the I thing that funny. i think the thing that shocks me the most is the fact that it's not even the fact that the cops have gotten off because at the end of the day i feel like they, they clearly had it's the fact that there's no due diligence there is no um, acknowledgement there is no responsibility being taken for the LMPD and they're mishandling 
of this case when at the end of the day, they were trying to get Jamarcus Walker, they got him, and they still went to Brianna's house and killed her. Because they thought she was a part of a drug syndicate. They didn't even know what they were shooting at. <laughs> they're, they're shooting at drug syndicates and they don't even know what they're, what they're shooting at. They don't, e- they don't even know. That's they don't point. even know. You know why? Because they chose 1240 to come to her house. If they came to her house in the middle of the day when they saw Jamarcus leave with a package, or if they came to her house, like you said, they've been monitoring all this stuff on these cameras that they have ever placed so slightly everywhere. If they came to her house in the middle of the day, maybe they would have had the visibility to see what they were actually doing. But they're the ones who chose to go in the middle of the night. And if you have Miles uh, Cosgrave, who's been on narcotics for over 10 years, and he's shooting all willy-nilly, that leads me to ask, is this how he handles all of his cases? It must be. Because why would he automatically change it up for this case? So how many other people, how many other innocent people have been killed without witnesses to live to tell those stories right. because the only witness lived to, living to tell the story is Kenneth Walker. And if we didn't have Kenneth Walker, we wouldn't know anything really. And, and Kenneth was scared for his life and he would be dead had, had he not shot that cop? Well, because look, that was look, kind of a distraction. To no, the no, whole no, no, thing. no. He would have been dead had, so what he did when he found out Brianna had gotten shot, he calls both of their parents. And within that, one of their parents says, you need to call the cops. Because he doesn't know what's going on. So he calls the cops. And you can hear that. That audio is available. Mm-hmm. When he calls the cops, that's when the cops that are on the phone tell the cops that are there, hey, somebody's dead in there. If that doesn't happen, he's dead. He's de- he's a dead man. Because when that takes place, then they're like, okay, we gotta we gotta be different about this. But in between that, the only person that's actually going to serve any time whatsoever, the only person that's gonna serve any time, is the man who, as you had already brought up, Hankinson, who's let off ten rounds. Just near the area outside of her room, just shooting everywhere, mm-hmm. and just happened to shoot at her neighbor's place, which had a baby in it and the whole knot. And if he doesn't do that and Wild Wild West that with 10 rounds, which is just not something that he's supposed to do, and he had already had previously done a bunch of crazy shit, he's on record, and you can go check out his record as well, then they're doing. They would have just been scot-free. No indictment. There would have been nothing. Basically, what would have happened is everything would have been legal in this situation. The only thing that was considered illegal about Brianna dying, it wasn't even that. No. It was the fact that there was the possibility of her neighbors being endangered. Not the fact that she died. The possibility of her neighbors possibly being harmed which were they? No. They no, were they not. No, they weren't. So the charges that are against him were for a possibility, not even for what actually happened. 
But it's, it's reckless is why. And what they did also, in my opinion, was a bit reckless as well. The other officers just shooting willy-nilly because they don't know what they're shooting at. Well, I wanted to touch on the 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 medical attention that Matt Mattingly got, right? So I read a couple reports where and I heard the I heard the nine one one or not the nine one one call. I heard the call no, I heard the nine one one call between Kenneth and um nine one one of course when he was calling for help for Brianna. Mm-hmm. The the thing that I'm confused about is this. There is audio of Mattingly, the one who got shot, saying that it took a while for the ambulance to get there to them. And I had read a report that said that they had an ambulance on standby prior to them even going to Brianna's house. Because I guess for these types of warrants and these no, no knock slash now we're going to change it to just announce and barge in um, type of searches. They always have an ambulance on standby just in case something happens. So I didn't know that. So, I didn't know that. That's the Yeah. So you schooled me. So basically what happened was in this situation, they actually told the paramedics to go. I think they assumed that nothing was going to happen. When Matt and Lee got shot, they called the paramedics to come back because like you said, he was bleeding profusely. So when the paramedics came back, mm-hmm. they immediately took Mattingly to the hospital. And in the 911 call, you can hear Kenneth Walker say, um, they shot my girlfriend, she's coughing, and I need someone to come get her. Yeah. So at that point is when she was still alive is and, what I'm saying. And your point is had they not had the office had they not taken the officer off, they could have actually saved her. They could have saved her life if one they didn't send the ambulance away prior to their their barging in. If two they did their due diligence as people, as cops, as people. And whether or not a person is guilty or not, if someone is injured, the cops are supposed to alert the, the medics and let them know so that they can be taken to a hospital. That's just, that's just common knowledge. We've seen bombers, murderers, and everything being taken to the hospital. Like, that's, that's not anything new. So the fact that they fired off all those rounds and Brianna was on the floor bleeding and no one said anything about her being taken in, that's where I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right. Facts. So to your point, Maddie Lee got taken away into the hospital and Kenneth Walker was on the phone with Brianna's mom at the time that he saw that she needed help as well. And he started calling for help too. And that's when Brianna's mom was saying, you need to call 911. At what point does someone need to call 911 when 911 is there? <laughs> it's even crazy. It is the mind blown way. emoji. It is 911 is there. The ambulance was just there. And he needs to now call 911 right. when they are the reason why Brianna is bleeding. How does that work out? Who do black people call 
when the cops are killing us? Do we call the cops? How does that work out? Like that, that that's like an equation I will never be able to answer. So one thing I wanted to bring up was in Daniel Cameron's speech that he had, he mentioned how, hold on just one moment. He mentions how medical evidence said that only one shot out of the six that hit Breonna Taylor was fatal, right? And he said from that one shot, Breonna would have died from that within a few seconds to two minutes. That doesn't make any sense. Because between the time that she got shot and from that time to the point where Mattingly was being taken to the hospital and her boyfriend realized he needed to call for, for help to get her to the hospital, he mentions on the 911 call that she was coughing. So she was still alive. Right. That was that not moment. two minutes. In that moment. That was not two minutes. So I feel like, and the coroner even said, oh, that shot would have killed her any within seconds anyway. So I feel like they're trying to mask this off as everything happened so fast and she got shot in the crossfire and there was nothing we could do about that anyway because she would have died within seconds. So there was no possible way that we could have saved her. Which is some BS. But it's BS because right. when you listen to the 911 call, he's, he literally says she's coughing. And that 911 call happened when they picked up Manly. That was not within two minutes of them shooting her. Because Manly even said it himself, the ambulance took so long to get to them. So if he, and I understand when you're in pain, you're in uh, distress, maybe in his case, his leg was bleeding. Maybe it felt like a long time to him. But I can guarantee you that Brianna Taylor did not die within a matter of seconds like they are claiming because even her boyfriend said she was coughing. And this is what minutes I, I love after. I love where you're going with that. That goes into me talking about building a narrative. Mm-hmm. The same way <laughs> uh the the KG basically created this narrative where he's like, oh, but we heard from a witness that you know, they they actually announced themselves. There's one witness out of twelve, right? Oh. So there's that, majority doesn't even it's rule about, that case. It's about the narrative, though, and in, that bothers me. Like we we can't do things based on narrative in that case. Um, well, you know, you know why that that was such a big thing for them, right? No, because they were granted the no knock warrant entry. But then the orders were changed right before they were about to raid her house to knock and announce. So that's why they keep focusing on this one person that heard them announce themselves because though they were initially granted the no knock warrant where they could just barge in and not say anything, that was changed right before they had their whole police raid. So they're focusing on this one witness to make it seem like they did everything they were supposed to do based off of the warrant they were given. 
I didn't hear that. I didn't. That's that why part. they're focusing on that. Why? Because answer me this. If they could do a no-knock warrant or mm-hmm. a no-knock search in this case, why would it even matter if someone heard them announce themselves? They don't have to. You know what I'm saying? Right. So the fact that they are even mentioning this witness and, and pointing out that there was a witness, that would not even matter if they really had a no-knock warrant. But that was changed before they got to the door. So they keep focusing on it to show that they have buttoned up all their everything, dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. Because I even looked that up. I'm like, why do they keep focusing on this one witness? It's a a no-knock thing. They don't even need to have a witness to hear that they didn't even say anything before they barged in. The warrant says they can do that. Why are they focused on this? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, because the warrant was changed. Now, the real question is, why was that search warrant changed to knock and announce? That's the real question. That's a good. Listen, you now you've given me. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't get that out of my. Re- so you you you. It, mu- it may right. have been new, new information, because like I said, I was looking this up like, why do they keep focusing on? One out of the, the 12 people or one out of the 13 people that heard them announce themselves. That didn't make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense. You don't have to if you have that warrant, but they didn't. So that's why they're relying on this one person. That's why I think this one person got paid. Who is this person? Where are they at? <laughs> so I, I want to I ask you one question, though. Um, cause I want to, I want to close this out the right way. Cause I really want to have a real good discussion about this. Um, in terms of what this really means and how it can be solved for, um, now in conclusion of what happens with Brianna, I think everybody knows that her, her family received $12 million. Um, so does that not sound guilty as well? <laughs> No, because honestly, you know, the twelve million dollars and this I was I was reading up on this. They're getting twelve million dollars for the wrongful death settlement that Brianna Taylor's mom filed against the city. Right now, we, we need to note that this is the largest ever settlement in history of Louisville police that they have ever had, like the largest settlement they've ever had on behalf of the Louisville police. And I read that it's one of the largest in the US for the shooting of a black person by the police. So that, that number is monumental in the, in the grand scheme of black brutality. Right. That's not like a measly little payout. Um, not to say that Brianna's life is, is worth that number is worth a lot more. If it's, I mean, it's not, it's worth, her life is just worth living. It's not worth anything that's attached. Yeah, I was going to say. It's not, it's not, it's not anything you could attach to a dollar amount. Um, but the thing about it is this $12 million is being paid by taxpayers. So in Louisville, 49% 49% of the city's budget is devote, devoted to the police department and the corrections department. But this $12 million payout is not even coming from those departments. So I think when we hear the words defund the police, 
in my mind for this position, defunding should come in when they do things like this. So defunding should come in when, when the city owes a family $12 million and they have to pay it out on the behalf of the police. That's the tax dollars, man. That's but The taxpayers are, are actually paying back this family. The right. police department is not. But and the police department in Louisville takes up half of the city's budget. So make that make sense. So when I think of defund the police, I mean that. I mean, hey, you guys do something wrong, you need to pay out. It needs to come out of it needs to come out of your department, not ours. We did nothing wrong. And that's what makes that stuff difficult. I think people get <clears throat> people get really caught up on the language of defund though. And when they hear defund, they automatically assume take away all funding for police. And that's not what defund the police has ever stood for. Right. That's not it. Right. I, I guess if, if it was better, reallocate. <laughs> like, but that's not, again, it's not the narrative. And whoever chose the word defund, not the smartest. <laughs> anyway, one thing that I, where I was going to go in terms of why and where you can take this next is I think people really start have to start focusing on less the presidency and more so the legislative and judicial branches of government. I think people across the board think of the presidency as the end-all be-all. And I, I think we're really, really, really as a nation uninformed on how things work. Mm -hmm. You get to choose. You get a say in who the legislators are. You get a say in this. Why aren't you going out of your way to try to make sure that those people who are creating the laws, because they create them, are putting laws in place that actually help you or benefit your people? I'm not understanding why. Is it a lack of education, a lack of knowledge in that regard? Or is it more so you're believing propaganda that your vote doesn't matter, that you it's not it's not going to change anything um i think it's i think it's the education part i don't think that people are aware that those decisions pro probably matter a, a bit more than who our president is in their local communities you know that's crazy to me yeah and that that actually bothers me more than anything that legit bothers me and so when you see the head of something, you assume that that person is the person who's making the decision. And that's where I'm like, you got to understand who the puppets are and who the puppeteers are. And I think we, for whatever reason, have always gotten that wrong. Like Kentucky General Assembly, the guy who has to go on stage and all these people are fired up about him saying what he said. That guy is legit the clerk. The manager is directly behind him. And none of you guys understand the difference between him and the other guy. <laughs> That's a problem. And I think it bothers me because I'm like, it, it, I guess it does go into the lack of education. 
you have to spend time pursuing who runs for the Kentucky General Assembly, the relevant committees that could change these laws. Go talk to them because those folks are not the KYAG. There was hope uh, for a better outcome, but the truth is the laws are in the pla- in place the way that they are, so they're not going to change. I just that's it. That's all I got. You you have anything what else you, you want to add? What were you going to say about what can be done at this point? So you're saying at, at this point, the only way to change anything is to vote locally. Yes. You have to start taking that a lot more serious. And if you don't, good luck. Good luck. So people were asking, is there anything that could be done for this case now? Now that we now that we can't arrest the cops for Breonna Taylor, we can't arrest them. They're not going to be arrested. One of them may be going to jail. Probably not. Um, I would have thought at the least someone would have been charged for negligent homicide at the least. But I'm wondering how was this case presented to the grand jury for them to come up with a decision that they came up with? How? Because according to Daniel Cameron, all the facts were presented. Are you sure about that? Because I really do think if all the facts were presented, there would have been a different decision. I personally do believe that. Um, Not based on how the laws are set up. No. I disagree with you on that. The the laws are the laws and they're in place. Well, you know, even he said that, that... he made he made some comment about the gist of his comment was that it, the laws are the laws, but that doesn't mean that they're right per se. And he didn't say it like that, but that was what I got from what he said. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, there needs to be there needs to be uh, reformation in in how justice is served across the board. Like we could vote for whoever we want to vote for. And I do think that that is a key element in in this whole thing. But these laws are decrepit. Like they're just horrible. I witnessed it when I was on the jury. I wasn't even on a grand jury. I was on a, I was a juror for a small little civil case eight years ago. And that's when I realized, wow, like, like the justice system is, is crap. What, what, to say what, the what least. Made you, what made you say that, though? Like, what? Because I think at the end of the day, there... You have to go off of what someone is saying. And if they don't present it in a way that... If they don't present the story in a certain way... You have to then say, nope, they're right or they're wrong because of the way that the story was presented. And I think that at the end of the, at the, end of the day, situations are not black and white like that. Right. You know, so you have a prosecutor, you have these lawyers and everything that are presenting these situations in such a way. And you have to go off of only what they say instead of how you really feel in your heart and you know not everyone's a good person so maybe it's better that it's not that way because maybe what they feel is not positive but it's that's when I realized 
you know, the, the case that I was on, it was, it was so just trivial to me, but unfortunately, um, the defendant got off easier because the, the way that the, they presented the case, it just, it didn't make us go for the um, plaintiff, unfortunately. And so following the rules of law, that is what you're supposed to do. But I didn't think that the, that the defendant was, was innocent. And, and then at the end of the day, the jury has to come to one decision. That's basically making a non-black and white situation a yes or a no. And I think that there's just more to it than that. So I don't know what kind of reform needs to happen, but there needs to be something. Because the fact that you can stand your ground, but you can't shoot a cop when you're doing it, and you don't know it's a cop when you're doing it, and Kenneth Walker was taken away in handcuffs when he should have never been taken away in handcuffs, and he had no felonies on his record, period? That's, that's ludicrous. Um, I was watching a video on YouTube and Joy Reid was talking and she was saying that the only thing that could happen at this point in this Breonna Taylor case is on a federal level. And that would have to be along the lines of a civil rights violation, which is what this would fall into. But she said the problem is the head of justice department right now is William Barr. Mm -hmm. And William Barr, he's actually on the Times most influential people list currently. Um, William Barr doesn't even believe in the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even believe that black people have it hard in any uh, area of their lives. He doesn't believe that black people are treated differently by cops in comparison to white people. So you have someone who... who would be in charge of that of that federal case, but there would be no point in having that federal case because the person who's in charge is already biased against it. Right. So it's like, I don't know. And that's why, I, you know, I, I just like threw my hands up with this whole situation because it's like on the end, at the end of the day is I wanted some sort of justice to be served, something. And the $12 million, sorry, that's not justice. That's not justice. But I think the way they handled the situation was in such a way where they knew what they were going to go towards. And so to soften the blow a little bit, they did certain things. The $12 million payout. Now all of a sudden you can't do these um, uh, no-knock search warrants anymore. You know, Brianna's Law that they implemented a couple months ago before we even came to this point. So something's, something in the milk is not clean. You know what I'm saying? Like there's been all these laws passed since she died in the last six months, but these cops have not been punished whatsoever. And, and it's not, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. Not no. at all. If, if, if the cops got off for this, that's going to, that, that is just a sign and an obvious flag that this is going to continue. And I think that's why I was just so like, Ugh, I don't even want to talk about this because it's literally us talking about something that hasn't changed since the first time we were talking about it. And I have a feeling we will have another episode 
talking about this in a different way. I'm with a sad different that you're person, already saying that. I am person. absolutely sad that you are already saying that. And I'm not even putting this out into the ether. I just, why would it stop now? You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer either. So, what's your conclusion? That's my conclusion. No, I don't. I want to hear. <laughs> That's my conclusion. <laughs> that is my conclusion. Um, my conclusion is. My conclusion is I find it funny. And I say that very loosely. I find it funny that two days before this announcement was made about uh, the lack of charges, the one indictment. Yeah. Mattingly, the one who got shot, mm -hmm. sends the email out to his colleagues. Did you read that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grammatical errors across the board. That shit went viral. It went viral. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it was that he sent this email at 2.09 in the morning, right? And in in this email, if for anyone, I suggest you read it because I'm not going to read it. Um, Verbatim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's basically talking to his colleagues and saying that, you know, they need to basically make sure they can justify what they do because it's all recorded and he wishes that he could be on the force with them and leading the charge and don't let these protesters, you know, ruin your livelihood because they're not worth it. And he feels like what he did was right and he wouldn't take anything back. And um, basically the, the good guys are demonized and the criminals are canonized. But there was a comment that someone said and it spoke to me because I felt the same way. Someone said, if he didn't do nothing wrong, why is he not asleep at two o'clock in the morning? Peaceful souls rest. <laughs> Guilty souls wallow in anxiety and agony. That's just funny. And I, I believe that. He's, peaceful souls rest. At 2.09 in the morning, he sends this out to his colleagues. This is riding his mind. And I hope this continues to plague him for the rest of his life because that's the least that I can ask for in this case. That's my conclusion. What about you? I think, as I said before, unless people as a, across the board, this can't be a black people thing. This can't be a uh, <laughs> liberal thing. It has to be people across the board agreeing that certain things need to change fundamentally within the police force, within the way that the laws are set up to not actually help people in those situations because it it's either everybody agrees or we don't. And for whatever reason, we really do as a country believe blue lives matter over black. And blue lives isn't an actual racial group. That's it. <laughs> That's all I got. And just like that, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can catch us on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and of course, Facebook, Instagram. Good night.